0: Hey, it's producer Daryl here, introducing today's episode of MLS Assist. The guest on today's MLS Assist is, well, me. So it's Joe Lowry and myself getting excited about 10 players who will be new to Major League Soccer in 2020. There's names you know, like Chicharito and Alan Pulido and Edison Flores, and some names you maybe don't, like Kenneth Vermeer and Leonard Owuso. And Jao Paolo, who'll be playing for Seattle Sounders. Before we get into the details of all those players, I want to let you know that the Athletic Podcast Network is supported by the Quip Electric Toothbrush, known as the iPhone of toothbrushes. Engineered by industrial designers, Quip is sleek and simple. Time Magazine named Quip one of their best inventions of the year. GQ declared it one of the best grooming products on the market. That's the magazine, not George Qureshi. And Oprah put it on her prestigious list, the O-List. Join millions of brushers who use Quip to make their mouths happy and healthy. Get your first refill free at getquip.com slash listen. That's getquip.com slash listen. The link will be in the show notes.
1: everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to help make sense of the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and today I'm not joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan is taking a well-deserved break after calling all of the United States women's national teams Olympic qualifiers. So instead, I'm joined by the Total Soccer Show's Daryl Grove. Daryl, how are you doing? Hello, I am honored to be on MLS Assist. It's great to have you. It's nice to have uh, one, of the f- one of the voices who's been working so hard behind the scenes to make this thing happen actually on the
0: show. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a little bit bold, right, to produce the show and then appear on it really soon. But, but here I am. Here <laughs> I, 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 am. Think, I think Four it works for way. us. <laughs> <laughs> I already have one producer note for you. You've undersold what Jordan's been doing the, these past few weeks. She didn't just call the US game. She called every single game. Oh, in those goodness. You're Catholic right. Olympic qualifiers. That's, that's why she needs a break.
1: Yeah, she's earned it. She and I, she's been working, she's working, working really hard behind the scenes on this show and calling all those games. I know she's been putting in the hours on both of those things. So the timing this week was perfect to give her a little bit of a break and allows us to sort of get in here. Each of us did our research on some of some new players joining Major League Soccer
0: and allows us to go back and forth
1: on some of those guys.
0: Yeah. So some of these names I literally had never heard of before, and now I'm all excited about them. So this is the glory of preseason, right? Is when you get to know about these new names. It's definitely a time of optimism. And sometimes I feel like when I'm looking at these guys,
1: I just assume they're going to be big things. And some of these guys will be. Some probably won't turn out as well, but just simply (laughs) going through the process of analyzing them, hopefully will give our listeners a little bit of insight into who these guys are and what they can expect from them.
0: Yeah. So in the title, it's going to be what, like 10 players new to Major League Soccer that we're excited to see. But I I already, spoiler alert, I'm definitely going to cheat and I've got more than more than five on my end. So it's going to be more like 12 players. I think that's a little bonus for everybody and it'll work out <laughs> just fine. So do we want to go ahead and get started with
1: uh, probably the biggest name that we're going to talk about on this one?
0: Oh, does that mean I'm at first then? Because I know I have got Javier Hernandez Chicharito. Of I, the think LA LA I think you're up first, Daryl. Okay so 31 years old which is older than i expected um 9 million dollars from Sevilla and he's going to be getting paid around 6 million dollars a year this is the galaxy's zlatan replacement and in my opinion zlatan upgrade agree or disagree
1: i think i agree but i'm interested to hear your reasoning behind why you say that
0: so i would say chicharito if he's going to be the center forward for the LA galaxy which is, i assume is exactly where he's going to play he is the opposite of Zlatan. Um, so Zlatan was, I, I would say, imperious, but immobile. He really <laughs> would just sort of stand there, right? And demand that the ball gets aimed at him. Whereas Chicharito, I've gone back and really enjoyed watching Chicharito footage for, for West Ham, for Sevilla um, and farther back in his career. Um, he's constantly on the move. This man does not stop. He is always zipping around the box, looking almost manic, but he knows what he's doing all the time, right? Um, and I think he's, he's got this thing of always being in the right place at the right time. And that's because he's always trying to be in the right place all the time.
1: And it's perfect. I think, that's ex- I, think I completely agree with you on that as far as a Zlatan upgrade, because so much of last season's Zlatan just stood on top of their mm-hmm. defensive block, and it really causes the Galaxy some defensive issues. So if you get a guy like Chicharito who can come in and so- score a, a bunch of goals as well and actually put in some defensive effort, I think Guillermo barros
0: is really going to enjoy that part of uh, Chicharito's game. The other thing I think is, again, Zatan stood up front. I think Chicharito does like to come deep and... Not like playmaker, but at least connect play, right? He'll come deep and show and have a quick touch and a quick layoff and then spin around and go back the other way. But he does occasionally come away from the centre-backs and he'll either bring one with him or he'll just leave them. And I think him doing that will open up space for the other Galaxy attackers, right? like say Pavan or Legette, maybe Efren Alvarez or somebody else to, to exploit that sort of central attacking space in a way that I don't think they could last year because Latan was just always standing there.
1: It's, yeah, that, that contrast between those two guys, I think is something we're gonna keep coming back to this season, just watching the galaxy, especially with Christian Pavon, likely on that left wing. He's an excellent attacking player as well in his own right. Yeah. Um, maybe, I mean, I don't know if he's more talented than Chicharrito, but they're, almost neck and neck as far as ability goes. So if you have a guy like uh, Javier Hernandez dropping in a little bit, creating a little bit more space for a guy like Pavon to take advantage of, maybe he'll he'll cut in from the left wing, get on his right foot, and then drive into that central area. That, that combination could be lethal for opposing
0: defenses to deal with. What what do you know about sort of the the way that the Galaxy play under Scalato? Because so, I couldn't really explain the tactical setup. Like, do you know if, uh, if Chicharito will fit with what he likes to do? I think think just from the way you've
1: described Chicharito's game as being a little bit more mobile, a little bit more energetic, producing on both sides of the ball, that's exactly what Guillermo Barceló wants. I don't think he's made any allusions to wanting to play this beautiful possession style. I think the Galaxy a lot of times are going to press, and then when that doesn't work or if it doesn't work, they'll drop back into a lower defensive block, and then they'll win the ball and transition quickly. That seems to me like it's the most likely style of play that we're going to see from the Galaxy. They have the talent, especially in midfield and the attack to play to really play with the ball but i'm not sure their defensive lineup and they do have a couple of new additions that i think could elevate their technical ability defensively playing out from the back but i think baro is really going to focus on those transition moments and if i'm not mistaken i think chicharito could really impact those offensive moments
0: okay and just so we don't get too excited um it did strike me that chicharito It's almost like he's got to prove he's not on the downslope. So obviously, I'm I'm sure listeners, long time soccer listeners will know that I'm a Wolves fan. So I'm very invested in the career of Raul Jimenez. Um, And I know it's Tata Martino for the Mexican national team has basically said Jimenez is Mexico's number one striker. So Chicharito has lost his spot as the number one striker for the Mexican national team. Um, There was that video where he really talked about the end of the European dream, right? And he he didn't do that well at Sevilla at all. I think he scored one goal in La Liga, one goal in the Europa League, and then he was sold halfway through the season. So I don't think we've talked... This hasn't been talked about much, but there is a danger that you could see Chicharito as on a bit of a slide that he needs to arrest, he needs to arrest that slide with some performances and goals for the LA Galaxy, especially if he wants to get that sort of uh, center forward spot back for the Mexican national team. I mean, for for Chicharito,
1: it would be ideal if he would have some sort of Carlos Vela-like uh, emergence in Major League Soccer where he really yeah. does take over, because it seems to me that his he's going to continue having difficulty breaking into the Mexican national team because of Jimenez, exactly like you described, Daryl. Um, it's not going to be easy to break into that spot and get important minutes for the Mexico. So if he can come in and actually produce some, I think that's going to help his odds. I don't know that it's going to even be enough to get him back into that starting spot for Mexico, but if he could come in and actually score some goals that would settle a lot of these discussions about maybe coming in as a retirement league or or coming in just trying to to salvage something of a career that's on the, on the downslope essentially. So if he can come in and perform well for the galaxy, which I think he will just with how they're set up, I think that's going to bode well for him.
0: All right. So it sounds like he's all set up. Um, I, I said at the top that I, I might cheat. Um, I, I've got to like, maybe bracket Chicharito with the other big name Mexican striker that didn't make my list, but I want to sneak him in there. If, <laughs> if you'll if permit me taking a bit course, of a liberty. Of course. The,
1: the more MLS, um, the better, Daryl.
0: If we're talking players new to Major League Soccer that we're excited about, we can't not talk about Alan Pulido of Sporting KC, Right. I, I mean, that signing for Sporting Kansas City was huge. It,
1: it, in terms of money alone, it showed their willingness to go out and actually bring in a bigger name player, especially at a position that SKC fans and, and just Sporting Kansas City has lacked over
0: the last, you know, X number of years. Yeah. So I, I would argue that since Dom Dwyer left, Sporting KC haven't really had a number nine right it's been a series of like playing Pretty vermiz has basically been playing three attacking midfielders up front and hoping that would work out and i feel <laughs> yeah. like this is almost vermiz admitting okay i was a little bit wrong let's go and spend big money on a number nine so they spent 9.5 million dollars from what from what i understand um to get polido um from from uh, Oh, I've forgotten where he was playing in Mexico. Chivas, Chivas yeah. got a lot, right. Where he was the golden boot winner um, for most goals—twelve goals in eighteen games last season—in um, the uh, the 2019 Apertura in Liga MX. So this is this is a big, big move for Polito. I couldn't find his salary, but I'm going to assume it's a lot. I mean, that seems fair, just given what they spent on
1: him, and just it seems like Sporting Kansas City is willing to spend some of that money now. Daryl, when you watched Alan Polito. What in your mind, why did Sporting Kansas City pay that transfer fee for him?
0: What, what is he going to bring to this team that, that caught your eye? So here's some high praise. Are you ready? Um, I see elements of Harry Kane in the way Polito plays. Hmm. And the big thing that I see is his ability to sort of, just open up a little bit of space and find the shot, right? He always seems to just be able to find that no matter what the angle or the distance, he'll find that bit of space and he'll like bend it into the corner and really go for it. And then I also see, take a deep breath, <laughs> elements of a younger Cristiano Ronaldo. Now I'm not saying he's as good as either of these players, but, you know, when you saw young Ronaldo, he would have that very straight back posture and a loads of step overs and feints and like throw his body quite sharply one way, but then go the other way. Um, I see that from Pulido when he when he's running at people. Um, so I think that will go very nicely alongside like uh, Gesso and Johnny Russell to have all three of them running at running at defenses. And just to add to that, I watched a little
1: bit of Pulido for an article I wrote for The Athletic on some some new signings in Major League Soccer. I think. Oh, a couple... I
0: found those articles while I was doing my research oh did you
1: okay well that's perfect <laughs> um, teamwork Daryl but Polito also has, to add to what Daryl said, he has a little bit of combination ability as well, which I think is perfect yeah. for how Peter Vermees wants to play with Kansas City. He plays out of that 4-3-3 shape like we talked about. Having a striker who can drop in a little deeper, maybe the wingers pinch in a little bit and it, the shape just tweaks a little bit free-flowing throughout the game. Having a striker who can drop into midfield combine with those central midfielders or or with a winger cutting inside or whatever it is, that brings real value to the system as well in addition to Polito's offensive ability.
0: It's the perfect Peter Vermees compromise, right? It's like Pulido is a number nine, but he also can drop back and play in that second striker role, which I think is what he did a lot for uh, Chivas last year. Um, so he, like, he's getting the best of both worlds. And then he's also getting a striker that, as far as I can see, is not afraid to sort of press, counter-press, track back, tackle, do all the defensive work. So I think, I think it's the perfect Peter Vermees striker.
1: It, I agree, and and Daryl, we've been beating around the bush here. You tweeted about it. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk about his penalties. I know you've got some things to
0: say. So genuinely, in my notes, all caps, I strongly dislike his penalties. <laughs> I saw a few Polido penalty kicks. He has this like wobbly, meandering run up where you could be forgiven for thinking that maybe he was drunk, and then a giant hop as he approaches the ball, like sort of Joseph Martinez ish. Um, And then the finish. And to be fair, all but one of the penalties I saw, he actually scored. But then there's that famous one that I think you put in your article against Fiorentina in the Mm -hmm. ICC, uh, where it didn't work out so well. But even when it does work out, I just don't like it. It seems like there's no need for all that before you you approach the penalty spot. I, I genuinely don't understand why any player would take a run up that
1: complicated and that confusing to look at. If I look at it and say, man... I feel like I would fall over doing that as someone who didn't play a lot of soccer. Maybe, yeah. maybe it would just be better to to take a little bit of a simpler approach and and score. It's not like he doesn't have the technique to shoot in the run of play. Um yeah. I don't. Uh, is he looking for style points? I don't know. Um Hopefully, hopefully he converts them for SKC at least.
0: He looks like he's taking a dizzy penalty. You know those things where you put <laughs> yeah. your head on the ball and run he really does. Yeah. <laughs> It's final, it's not ideal. Final final note from me on Polito. Um, he is this is an example of how difficult he is to uh, keep hold of. He was kidnapped in 2016, and he evaded his attacker, stole their weapon, and escaped. So if you're going to try and manmark him, remember that this man was kidnapped and escaped his kidnapper. Watch out, MLS defenders. He's going to be hard to nail down. Um, <laughs> I, I, think
1: one of the, one of the players who may or may not be responsible for trying to stop, uh, players like Javier Hernandez and, and Alan Pulido is the first player on my list to talk about. And that's LAFC's new goalkeeper, Kenneth Vermeer. Um, so Kenneth Vermeer okay. is, is a Dutch goalkeeper. He's 34 years old. So he's getting up there or he's, I guess he's already up there if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> he, he transferred in from Feyenoord after playing almost 10 years for Ajax and, And a couple other a couple other clubs throughout his career um because he's dutch he does take up that international spot which is relatively uncommon in mls it's not unheard of to have an international goalkeeper but it is uncommon just because there are a limited number of international spots teams tend to use
0: them on outfield players which makes sense logically there are more outfield players to have to fill so, so do, I, does this mean that, that they're basically thinking this is a really important signing if they're using an international spot on him? That's how I'm reading into it, certainly. I mean, they went from having Tyler Miller and Cole, who, who may or may
1: not have some sort of, of, rift, of a rift with Bob Bradley. So maybe Ooh, it was time to move on. Didn't know from, that. Maybe it was time to move on from Tyler Miller anyway. But bringing in a guy from the Netherlands is definitely a sign that Bob Bradley thinks he's going to be a key player for them this season. And after watching
0: film, I completely agree. Alright, so what did you see? Because I find goalkeepers very hard to analyze, so I'll be interested to hear what, what you have to say. I, I do too, and so I actually asked for some help on
1: this, but we'll get to that in just <laughs> a minute. Um, some of the things I noticed just in terms of his offensive ability was, uh, was Vermeer's ability to, to move inside of his box. You I know, mean, we talk a lot about now the importance of goalkeepers having the ball and being comfortable with the ball at their feet, but for, with Vermeer, it's not just that ability to pass out from the back, which he does have, especially, especially with his right foot but he is able to move outside his box to create passing angles for his teammates. So, just as an example, let's say LAFC are building out from the back. Um, he could play the ball over to Walker Zimmerman on the right side of central defense. Then as soon as he plays that pass, Vermeer is almost definitely going to shift towards the right side of his box, at least at least towards the right side of his box, maybe a little higher, maybe a little farther to the side than that. He's going to shift outside to provide Zimmerman an angle just in case he can't progress the ball forward.
0: Hey, this is Daryl cutting in with some news. When we recorded this episode, Walker Zimmerman was very much an LAFC player and was all set to be receiving those passes from Kenneth Vermeer but the athletics and allocation disorders Paul Tenorio is now reporting that Walker Zimmerman has been traded from LAFC to Nashville for quote a significant amount of allocation money and an international roster spot so it looks like someone other than Walker Zimmerman will be receiving those passes from Vermeer
1: so that's that, little, that little detail, his offensive movement as a goalkeeper, his positioning, I think is something that's so critical. He's not just passing and then saying, OK, guys, I made a good pass. You guys can do the rest from here. But he's actively moving to provide a numerical advantage in wide areas.
0: Yeah, that really makes a difference when you're trying to bring the ball out of the back, right? Because it is genuinely a hard thing to do because all the, all the spaces are closed off. If you have one extra option, then suddenly um, all kinds of things open up for you. Exactly. And after he shifts, after he shifts
1: wide, if, if the center back does have to play him the ball back, Vermeer can break lines with his passing. Like, he's not afraid to play a ball into a dangerous area, which obviously has its, its positives and its negatives. It's a risky move, but he has the ability to break lines with his passing and maybe play into, for LEFC, that could be an Eduard Atuesta in central midfield or even higher up the field to a Latif Blessing. Whoever it is, he can play that breaking, you know, that ball through the lines so, and then allow for a, a, an attack from there. Are we talking like long chipped balls or is he like
0: blasting balls along the floor? It's
1: he's comfortable doing both. I think Ooh. with, with Fineord, he didn't have as much license to play those those driven central passes. A lot of his passes went to the left side of the field as sort of that lob diagonal ball. But he can play almost that uh I don't know how you describe it, but it's it's almost a laser-like motion. It's a nice just watch it and it's smooth. Um, right. I think you kind of know it when you see it, even though I just did a terrible job of explaining it. He plays like a really clean ball through midfield to an attacker, or at least he can.
0: I know yeah I know what you're talking about. You're talking about like a ball that zips along the floor.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good yeah. word to use. I don't know. I think oh, I right. can just see it in my head as I think about it at
0: least. Oh yeah. yeah. I never thought I would get excited about a goalkeeper passing the ball out of the back, but I think you've done it. You've done it, Joe. And it's for LAFC, it's it's the perfect marriage, essentially.
1: Like if if Vermeer had gone to, let's say, the Galaxy as an example, he wouldn't necessarily be asked to do these things. And yeah. so is it risky? Absolutely. But that's exactly how LAFC want to play, and that's that's why he fits, I think, so well there this season, even though he is getting up a little bit. and maybe he's losing some of his ability to move and be that mobile goalkeeper that he's been for so long all right Um, anything else or or are you ready to move on to the next player Uh, i think uh just quickly i'll mention the the, some of the weaknesses because i have hyped him up quite a bit here i talked to uh university of virginia performance analyst and also contributor to american soccer analysis carlin carpenter who who was a goalkeeper back in the day he's not carlin's not very old but i'm going to make him sound old um (laughs) and i asked him to watch a little bit of film on him and, and sort of give me a reading on his weaknesses and a couple things just quickly to highlight that Carlin mentioned to me. Yeah, he, he is a good shot stopper, but he lacks occasionally some consistency. He, he sometimes Vermeer will sometimes parry balls into central areas after he stopped the first shot, leaving a chance for a rebound for an opposing attacker. Um, so that, that can be something to watch out for LFC He's going to have to make sure he's consistently parrying shots into wider areas instead of those central spots. And then another thing is he does like to push high outside of his box when, when it, his new team i guess LAFC that will be when they push high in possession maybe they have most of their outfield players in the opposing half he likes to step high now at 34 it's a much riskier move to to have the opposing attackers come and maybe round the goalkeeper and have an easier path to goal so between his risky positioning when when LAFC are in possession high up the field and some of his inconsistent shot stopping just keep an eye on those the, just those couple of things as an LAFC fan
0: well, yeah, as an AFC fan, I'd be concerned, but what I'm hearing is excitement.
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm here for it, Daryl. As as a neutral, I think it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> um, well, the next player on my list um, is definitely bringing some excitement. His name is Lucas Ryan from uh, Columbus Crew. Now, this is a player I've got to admit I had never heard of, but I inherited um, some of Jordan's notes and list of players that she wanted to talk about. Um, and I'm very happy that Lucas Ryan was on there.
1: That's perfect because I've heard I've heard his name since coming to MLS coming from Tigres, but all I've ever heard is that they spent a lot of money on him and he's an attacking midfielder. So okay. I've heard
0: absolutely no details about his game. So Daryl, why don't you fill me in? I've got some details for you. Okay, so he's twenty-seven years old, Argentinian. As you said, he's come from a very talented Tigres team in League MX, where he's been for the last four years. The crew spent seven million dollars on him and made him a DP. And even though they haven't officially said this, Argentinian number ten coming in the year after Iguain leaves, he's the Higuain replacement, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of a lot of pressure on on this man's shoulders. Um, in terms of uh, talent, it's not a problem. This man has all the skills. He is Zelarayán is very flash. Flash is the word I would use. He has incredible balance. He has all kinds of methods of misdirection sort of like david blaine if if david (laughs) blaine was fast if he did a trick and then accelerated away uh, david blaine would be lucas zellerian if david Um, blaine
1: was an argentinian soccer player
0: for the columbus crew i think i think the comparison is spot on (laughs) daryl perfect right perfect um but watching highlights i saw lots of really quick and nicely executed Cruyff turns the uh the ronaldo chop as taylor calls it you know when you sort of uh uh, clip the ball with your, your trailing leg to change direction. Um, lots of nutmegs at pace, uh, a lot of body shape that threw, threw defenders off and then and then turned. And then Zellerian's really strong. Like Once he's made a bit of space, he's quite hard to wrestle the ball back from. He's not like some delicate playmaker. He's quite a, a tough little guy. Um, the problem is, he seems like he's always trying tricks like hmm. always 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 trying tricks um i don't know if are you old enough joe to remember the game fifa street oh yeah of course yeah i, I remember it only came out in like the, the the late like late 2000s kind of so i didn't know if it was still around or not but if anyone's played fifa street essentially goals are goals and they're worth a goal but you get more points for panners and things like that and i kind of think that's the game that lucas Zeller-Ain is playing sometimes It's yeah, I've seen just
1: a couple of highlight clips and you can kind of get that feeling just from watching those and to have that confirmed by you actually
0: watching footage, I guess, isn't totally surprising. Because here's what happened. Like I started off by watching um, essentially just a highlight reel on YouTube. And I thought, well, why isn't Lucas Leroyen the best player in the world? (laughs) Because there's all kinds of amazing stuff I'm seeing here. I'm seeing this guy like lift the ball over his own head from a reverse angle and then volley it home at the top of the box. Like This guy looks incredible. Um, But then when I looked at his um, minutes for Tigres, he wasn't a guaranteed starter and he rarely played 90 minutes. And he's obviously a number 10 and often he would be playing sort of left wing and like uh, other Tigress players would be playing ahead of him right so I think there's essentially a lack of sensible efficient play in his game and it's always flash and I saw times when he would receive the ball and the first thing he would do would um, even though he was already kind of in space he would pull off a trick to change direction and would sometimes run into trouble because he did that. So I think that's the that's the downside with Lucas, Lucas Leroy. he's also very right footed, very, very right footed. It's all right foot. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see what happens when this guy becomes the absolute number 10 go to go to guy center of a team, which is exactly what he's going to be at Columbus crew.
1: And that's that's a great question, especially because we just don't know how Caleb Porter is going to set this team up Um, in Columbus. We don't know. I think it's fair to assume that it's going to be a 4-2-3-1 with likely, uh, Artur and Nagby as the two deeper central midfielders and Zellerian ahead of them. But we don't know exactly the style that Porter wants to play. We don't know if he wants it to be more of the pure possession style that, that we've seen him use in the past, maybe more with Akron than he, than he has in Major League Soccer. Or, or is it going to be more of a transition-based team? And is, for Daryl, for you, do you think that Zellerian fits better in one of those systems versus the other, just given what you've seen of him?
0: I would imagine, so I don't know about the defensive side of his game, but in terms of the way he attacks, a transition style might suit him more because there's space to exploit, right? Sure. Um, And it's worth taking a risk to really break open a defense that's already off balance. I could see that being incredibly, uh, incredibly successful.
1: And I guess just how Zelda's skill set meshes with whatever style Porter wants to build, if they can find a mutually beneficial relationship where where this guy can actually pull off some of his skills but also work within the context of of the team, however Porter decides to set them up. That yeah. I mean that's what it's gonna take to have this, you know, this relationship actually work, right?
0: Yeah, and, and his the the final thing that, that relates to that that I that I read um was a column by Matt Doyle, um a preseason MLS column where Doyle sort of named um, the most important player on every team. Um, and for the Columbus crew, it was Zeller A.N. Um, and here's a line from Matt Doyle's piece, which I think really struck a chord with me. Um, a number 10's job isn't just to win games himself, it's to make the guys around him 10 or 15% better. And that, I think, is the challenge for Zeller because I'm not sure that he's that guy that's going to make Jesse Zardes or Fernando Adi or the other people around him look better, or if he'll just make himself look good. So I guess the... The proof will be in the season, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the case with all these guys, but especially with sort of a, a dynamic,
1: sometimes baffling player like that who has the skill so clearly, but maybe doesn't always pick the right moments to use it. Yep. Either way, I look forward to watching him play. Perfect. That makes two of us. Um, moving on to my second player, we've got a man by the name of Leonard Owusu. Um, okay. I, I had never heard of this gentleman before sort of compiling research for this preseason time. But after, after doing some digging into new acquisitions in Major League Soccer, I'm now, and I, I guess this is cliche at this point, but I'm excited to see Wusu take the field for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, they, they brought him in from FG Ashdod in the Israeli Premier League, which is not a destination that we see many players coming from to mm-hmm. Major League
0: Soccer. But after going no, It's through, more, it's more of a, a place to go, right? If you want a sort of back door to European football.
1: Right. I mean, it's, it's a potential for a European competition. Yeah. Um, but we don't we don't see many players coming from Israel to Major League Soccer. And so that alone was a unique thing that made me sort of want to dig into actually who this guy is. So a little background on Owusu. He's twenty two years old. He's Ghanaian. Um he he played a one professional season in Ghana before moving to Israel and playing for FC Ashdod in the Israeli Premier League. Um and played two seasons with them. In terms of physical characteristics, he's He's a five foot eleven, you know, pretty solid central midfielder. He, he can play as a defensive midfielder, um, but he has a lot to offer going forward. So I think he's better as more of an eight than he is a six. And he's, he's certainly not a 10 just with his skill set. He's a young guy. He's 22. He has a lot of potential. But he can even impact the Whitecaps right now. And that's that's something I think that's particularly interesting after going through looking at his skills and looking at what he brings to the table. He's a young player who hasn't played at a particularly high level. So there are going to be growing pains, but he definitely brings a lot of talent and a lot of physicality, a lot of technical ability as well to the Whitecaps
0: roster. So what, what is it about him that makes him stand out to you? Cause I feel like you could, the, the, what you just described could be a lot of players in major league soccer, right? So is there something about Iwusu that really like pops for you? Absolutely. It's, it's his
1: combination of, of physic, physical ability and technical skill. And I'm going to get more okay. specific on that here. He yeah. has some pretty incredible acceleration and a pretty, darn technical right foot that combination (laughs) makes him just a really unique player i think his ability to to receive the ball and to take a quick turn and then to push past the defender on his back is really really impressive he can deal with pressure he has the the technique and he understands how to manipulate space in such a way that he can shake the defender from his back and then take one or two quick hard touches forward and then immediately his team is in transition so he can take defensive moments and turn them so quickly into attacking moments as far as accelerating quickly into the attack he can either dribble the ball forward or he can act as more of a distributor and play a really nice lobbed ball with his right foot he has that that really clean passing technique he also can he can hit a volley he can do a lot of stuff with his right foot so he has the potential to break teams down in possession as well from a deeper area or be that valuable player in, in transition attacks. So I think that combination of skills, especially from a younger guy who hasn't played at a particularly high level, that those things I think have. I think those two skills will translate in a lot of different leagues. So coming to Major League Soccer, which is likely a slightly higher level than the Israeli Premier League, that's probably underselling it a little bit. Coming to Major League Soccer, definitely coming to Major League Soccer, which is a higher level than any place he's played before, to have the physical ability to get away from a defender and the technical ability to hit those precise, accurate, you know, longer passes, those those things I think will absolutely translate with Vancouver this year for Mark Dos Santos.
0: So yeah, do you think he's, um, I know you can't say for sure, but do you think he's a, a starter from like week one for Dos Santos or, or, or not? Like given the fact that like this is a, probably a step up for him. I think a lot of that depends on how he performs in their preseason camp.
1: I think his biggest area that needs improvement, maybe before getting significant minutes is, is smart running. That's why I have it in my notes. It's in quotes, smart running, knowing offensively and defensively when, when to step, when to pressure, when to move between the lines offensively, when to drift into spaces. And I think Mark Dos Santos is the perfect guy to help with that, other than other than probably Bob Bradley and MLS. Dos Santos spent time under Bradley at LAFC as an assistant coach. And and Bob Bradley is notorious for sort of stopping his training sessions, moving Mark Anthony's Mark Anthony K's foot like half an inch and then <laughs> continuing. And so if if Dos Santos can do just a little bit of that with a WUSU, in this preseason, and we see a tangible improvement in his ability to manipulate, to get into better spaces and to know when to pick his moments. I think he should start for Vancouver either as an eight in a four through three or maybe a half of a double pivot in a four, two, three, one, whatever shape he decides to use, whatever shape Dos Santos tries to use. If, if he can just hone that area of his game slightly, he should be starting, if not an opening day pretty soon after. At least that's, that's what
0: I think from watching this footage. Okay. So a wushu at Vancouver um are you you ready for the next guy oh I'm ready Daryl I am surprised that this guy is not on your list Joe it's Fernando Meza oh you got the center back Daryl Atlanta United this is a center back who loves to basically dribble out of the back this is a Joe Larry player how is he not on your list
1: it's you know what I felt a little bad I talked about Ronnie Dyla and his love for center backs last week and Jordan let me sort of nerd out on that for I know it was probably only two minutes but and it felt even shorter for me because i wanted to talk about it for longer and i talked about <laughs> Dyla last week so i figured i'd leave the center back to her and, and that's now you daryl
0: yeah so this is a player i inherited um didn't know much about i'm glad that i know a little bit about fernando Meza now so he's a 29 year old um argentinian center back he's joined atlanta united as basically the replacement for leandro gonzalez perez um I don't understand how this transfer happened because uh, Fernando Mese was playing for Nacaxa in Liga MX last season. Um, and then there was some weird thing where he was sent to Tijuana and then Tijuana sent him to Atlanta um, after Gonzalo Pires had been sold by Atlanta to Tijuana. The only thing I can guess is that Liga MX are very on board with this sort of um, cooperating with MLS and were deliberately getting in on some crazy trades.
1: Yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and forward any and all conversation from me on this topic to Felipe Gardenas um, mm, and hope that Felipe can answer any and all transfer-related questions
0: regarding uh, Meza for us. So, yeah, the the footage I saw of Meza, obviously not playing for Tijuana because he never actually played there. They just they flipped him, right? They flipped him, basically. Um, uh, Meza playing for Nakaxa is absolutely fascinating. Um, he is a centre-back, right? But he's five foot nine. He's a five foot nine centre back um, who loves to bring the ball out of the back. He will he will drive forward with like a surprise acceleration. He will tempt you in and do a sort of futsal style soul roll and then get away from you. Um, And then he also loves a big diagonal switch, like a really nice big pass diagonal switch. I think he's everything Frank De Boer wants from a centre back uh, bringing the ball out
1: of the back. It's you mentioned, you mentioned him as the replacement for Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, and I think that's spot on. Not only bringing in a centre-back after another leaves, but also in terms of their skill set, he has that ability to drive forward and to, to do some similar attacking runs that LGP did for Atlanta last season. And I think Frank DeBoer is really going to make that an asset. He's
0: really going to take advantage of, of Meza this season. And I would argue that Meza is more suited to the way Frank DeBoer wants to play than LGP was. I think his passing's a little more um, delicate. Like L.G.P. tended, in my mind, tended to hit like big risky balls Hmm. um, and take risks. And it's not—I don't think it's a coincidence that he had. I would argue his worst season for Atlanta last year, and the two years under Tata Martino, it just suited him a little better. I think that's totally fair. I think bringing
1: in someone who has a little bit more, as you said, precise passing. I think LGP had some of that in his game, but he's also a risk taker, right? Inherently, I think he would say that. So maybe bringing in a guy like Meza, who does still like to get forward, but can can polish things up at times from the back. Maybe when Brad Guzan starts possession from goal, that could be a a real advantage for Atlanta United in 2020.
0: And I'd argue that maybe Miles Robinson and Fernando Meza, assuming that's the central defensive partnership, if it's two centre backs, that's going to be two of the most um, interesting defenders bringing the ball out of the back, like as a pair. To watch oh I'm it's, pretty it's, sure it's
1: perfect especially because if Meza does go forward Robinson is kind of known especially in MLS for his 1v1 defending so if yeah. Meza kind of ventures on forward and creates some numerical advantage in midfield Robinson can rotate back and ideally stop any counterattacks or or if it's a three at the back and you have Franco Escobar on the right side Miles Robinson in the middle Meza on the left I mean you can do all sorts of fun things I think we could even see some overlapping center backs a la Sheffield United with oh. Frank De Boer this season
0: Fantastic, yeah, and also Meza covers ground pretty quickly in the same way as Miles Robinson does. So I think you might see some really fun foot races um, to uh, to cover ground. Here's the most interesting thing though. I mentioned this earlier. Meza is five foot nine, (laughs) which is well below what you would expect for a centre back, right? He's five foot nine. But he doesn't get embarrassed in the air, and I think that is absolutely fascinating. I watched a lot of footage. I even—it's um, no secret that when I'm like watching players, I'll use, say, Scout, um, where you can you can like uh, you can select specific actions, so you can watch the same action multiple times. Um, I watched a lot of Meza aerial duels, right? Um, and he won most of them at five foot nine.
1: And and how is he? How, Darryl, how is he doing that? What, does he just have a mad
0: vertical, or what? What's his secret? It's a leap. Yeah, it's definitely a mad vertical um, because here's the thing. If you watch, um, you will know this, Joe, but I'm going to explain this to our listeners, right? If you're a big, big centre-back, like say you're Virgil van Dijk, right? And you're six foot four, I think he is. Um, The art of winning a defensive header when you're Virgil van Dijk isn't that you're six foot four and you can leap an extra foot on top of that, right? It's Virgil van Dijk will jostle for position, get in the exact right spot so that it's hard for the center forward to jump. And then he will barely leave the floor as he wins the header, right? It'll be like a tiny jump to get there first, but it's not as if he's going as high as he can to get as to get there first, right? It's 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 more complicated than that. Whereas with Fernando Meza, it really is about getting a massive vertical to make up for the fact that he's probably four or five inches shorter than the guys he's going up (laughs) against. So it is a mad leap, hangs in the air like Jordan for a second and wins the header against bigger center forwards. It is an absolute miracle. um, And I think it's going to be a joy to watch every week
1: um, if you're an Atlanta United fan. I'm excited for that. Honestly, just this discussion. Of Atlanta's center backs, not just Meza, but a guy like Miles Robinson and maybe Franco Escobar, that duo or trio, whoever's playing for Frank DeBoer, man, that's going to be really tactically interesting to watch the season to see how they're utilized and how their skill sets mesh together.
0: Yep. And final thing I'd say is I know from the outside, if you're an Atlanta United fan, it looks like, oh, losing Perez is a huge blow. And who's this guy we got in to replace him on the cheap? But I really think it's. In terms of suiting Frank DeBoer, it's actually an upgrade. I'm convinced of that after watching footage of both players. That's fascinating. I Man, Atlanta are such a mystery, especially
1: coming into year two with DeBoer. Are, what are we going to see? How are they going to line up? Is there going to be better chemistry this season? Just a lot of interesting storylines. And I think Meza, honestly, as a center back lover, is
0: probably the most interesting one to me, at least. And we'll, we'll find out next week, right? When the, uh, CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 happens, uh, you, we'll see Atlanta in action against, I've forgotten the name, but it's a Honduran team that they're playing. Man, I'm, we're
1: actually getting some real soccer coming our way. That is, yep. that's exciting. That's what we like to hear. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and move us on forward to my third player, Jurgen Lokadia. So Jurgen Lokadia is, uh, FC Cincinnati's new striker. He is Dutch, 26 years old. He's six foot one, kind of fits the classic physical profile for, for a pretty well rounded striker. He he played a number of years for PSV before moving to Brighton in the Premier League. Uh he did that in 2018, making that move. And that's uh, where I know his name. Yeah, he's he's a familiar name. He's played at a couple of pretty sizable clubs. I mean Brighton, not the largest, but in the Premier League at the very least. They they bought him for almost nineteen million dollars from PSV. So Oof. a pretty big money deal for someone whose whose name we're now seeing in major league soccer in
0: the prime of his career as a twenty-six year old. So would yeah. I be right in saying it didn't go well for him at Brighton? Because I don't remember a lot of Jurgen uh Premier League goals. You would be
1: exactly right, and and maybe not for the reason you'd think. I think from watching from watching footage and from looking at his game and where Brighton used him, I don't think he was actually ever used, and not often at least. He was not used in the right position. I think he's an out and out striker, and so much of the time for Brighton, he was played on the wing. Um, okay. which after watching his game was kind of a baffling decision for me. I don't understand how. How the coach thought that his skill set meshed better on the wing than it did up top, but that's likely just because there was a more talented guy at center forward, and and they wanted to get him on the field any way they could. At least that's that's kind of how I'm interpreting it.
0: Okay, so you're thinking he moves back to center forward into Major League Soccer, and suddenly he's basically going to be the the Jurgen Lakadia that Jurgen Lacardia thought he was. <laughs> I think I think that's
1: the exactly the perfect way to describe it. He has. All of the tools to be a successful number nine. He has physicality. He has good speed. Not, I mean, not elite speed, but he has well above average speed. He's not, he's not a negative on the ball. He's not, you know, gonna hold up the ball too long and lose it. He's not necessarily the most creative passer, but he has clean combination play. He's good with both feet. Um, He's Mm -hmm. right footed, but he can. He can send in a low cross across the edge of the box if he does rotate wide. He can send that ball in low across the six yard box with either foot. Um, and he's also, he's got the physical tools to jump in the air as well. We just talked about Fernando Meza, but this definitely applies with a guy like Locadia as well. He has the area ability, aerial ability to win the ball in the box and, and direct it towards goal with the ball in the air. So I think he has the, the physical tools. Uh, Another example of that as I was watching footage of Brighton's match at some point in the Premier League against Tottenham and uh, Christian Eriksen served a free kick into the box and it didn't kind of connect with any Tottenham players. It was just bouncing around in the box and Locadia absolutely bodied uh, Toby Alderweireld off the ball like he he. It was not close. The battle was not close. Locadia <laughs> shouldered him out of the way cleanly. It was a completely clean play. But Alderveld kind of looked surprised and was a couple of feet away from where he thought he would be after they made that collision. And I think that's just a good example of his physical ability that FC Cincinnati are going to
0: see a lot of this season. So does this represent, this is maybe a bigger question, but does this represent um, a more serious approach to Major League Soccer this year for FC Cincinnati? 100%. You look at a guy
1: like Locadia also bringing in FC Cincinnati, Yakubo. Um, yes, yeah. who I think we're both pretty big fans of after watching yeah. some of his game. Um, Did he those of, two guys he are huge.
0: He didn't make either of our list, but I think I saw Locardia on yours and I kind of thought, all right, that's Cincinnati covered. And I hope we get to talk about Yuya Kubo when we talk Locardia. Yeah, so, let's,
1: let's do it. I'm curious, Daryl. I've watched a bit, but I, I actually would really love to know what you think of Kubo and, and how you think he might work off of Locardia for Cincinnati's attack.
0: Yeah, I assume working off of someone is the way to go because he's not—he's a striker, but he's not an out-and-out striker, right? This is a guy who can play like underneath a striker, or I imagine could play out wide. Mm-hmm. He seems to roam around and essentially pull off little turns and get away from people and play really nice through balls. For the footage I saw, and the footage I saw was him playing in the Bundesliga. Um, I can't remember the team he was playing for. But it was definitely top tier, top tier Bundesliga. Yeah, I don't was, remember either. But it Bundesliga. was, it
1: definitely was in the Bundesliga against some. I watched him play against some pretty, you know, well-regarded opponents as far as talent goes uh, in the Bundesliga.
0: So yeah, Yuya Yakubo you, as I'm going to call it like the the playmaking second striker, and Jürgen Locadia as the like absolute center forward. That seems like a team that doesn't need Bobby Wood.
1: No, I, I think they probably made the right decision. Locadia seems undeniably more talented, or, or at the least even after a not so successful stint with Brighton, and then he, he actually spent some time with Hoffenheim as well. Even after maybe a slightly underwhelming European performance, uh, I think he still is in better form than Bobby Wood. Uh, I'm sorry, Bobby yeah. Wood.
0: but I think... my, my understanding was that Bobby Wood asked for a lot more money than Cincinnati were willing to pay him. And they, they don't need to break the bank if they've already got uh, Kubo and Lucadia, right? No, and, and they brought in Lucadia on, on loan with an option to buy. So mm. they're not even committed.
1: If he, if he isn't able to produce the goals that they want from their number nine, uh, they can let him go back to Europe and, and try again with another designated player. So for Cincinnati, it's a pretty low-risk kind of thing. They have to pay a salary obviously but it's not like they're really committed to him and they spent a, a
0: lot of money on a transfer fee up front do you know how is it ron yans the, the coach do you know how he plays with fc cincinnati and how does that play into Lucadia? so
1: i'm if i had to guess i think we're gonna see a four three from from ron yans i think that's how he's going to prefer to set this team up. And I, I, actually really believe that that works well with the two guys we've talked about with Lucadia and with Kubo. It doesn't provide Kubo with a natural spot to play underneath a striker. If you just think of how the shape is set up with those three central midfielders, um, the point of the triangle in midfield is, is by the defense. So you've got kind of that facing down triangle right. instead of the four, two, three, one where, where you have so that point of the attack. So if, probably if Kubo plays. Exactly. If Kubo plays wide, he might tuck in during the run of play and and then kind of combine coming in from the right side, playing off Locadia there, and then they would sort of have that working relationship in a more central area. And that would allow for some wide rotations as well. Maybe the fullback pushes high, then you have some width, and then you just create more kind of ingenious looks to play out of for Cincinnati's attack, or it could just be a straight-up 4-2-3-1 with Kubo underneath Locadia. I mean, it could go either way. I just have a slight personal preference to the 4-3-3, and I'm, I'm guessing that's the way Jans is going to lean.
0: Either way, it's got to go better than last year, right?
1: Yeah, there's, there's absolutely zero doubt in my mind that Cincinnati are going to be far more competitive this season than they ever have in their one season of Major League Soccer before this.
0: <laughs> Um, Speaking of guys that can play uh, multiple attacking positions, uh, next on my list is Edison Flores, the 25-year-old Peruvian, I'm going to say winger and attacking midfielder, mostly because I read uh, your write-up on The Athletic about (laughs) Edison Flores being both a winger and an attacking midfielder. Um, So if you don't know, DC United paid $5 million and made him a DP to get Edison Flores um, to our nation's capital from Morelia in Liga MX. Um, I had heard of Edison Flores before. He was always to me the sort of um, the less famous of the Peruvian wingers. Whenever I watched Peru, but <laughs> that's he was, exactly how I thought of him, at Daryl. That's right? exactly my Cause, thinking. Because they have a, a couple of like uh, high-profile wingers and attacking midfielders, and Flores was also there. <laughs> and I was always paying more attention to the other guys. Um, he has had a weird European career. Um, his two spells in Europe were with Villarreal B, which I think was a, kind of a gamble to make the Villarreal first team, um, and recently Alborg in Denmark. So he's a guy who's had like two goes at Europe and come back both times, um, then done really well for Morelia. And then now DC have essentially spent the money on him, right, to, to make him the replacement for basically Luciano Acosta, I think. It seems at first I was thinking yeah this is a
1: winger and I don't understand why people are saying he could play as at number 10 but then yeah for that athletic article I did I did see him play a lot as a number 10 and I'm guessing you did the same and it seems like he can play yeah. fairly well um in a central area just like he can at a left wing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So he is short and dribbly right? So what is he, five foot six, something like that? Really can go past people when he's dribbling. But I think his his passing with his left foot is the real danger. Um, I have in my notes that he is like Liam Neeson from Taken, because he has a very particular set of skills. He will look for you, he will find you, and he will play a killer pass. <laughs> That's perfect, Daryl. I love it. <laughs> so he really does have that magic left foot that... What I noticed is from any angle, he can find a killer through ball with his left foot. doesn't matter if he's way out wide, he'll find like a long bending cross and find someone at the near post. Or even if he's right, like down the middle, he'll find like a chipped left footed pass. Like I can imagine uh, Kamara running onto to some of these passes, or he can crack a shot from distance with that left foot. Um, so I, I really think Edison Floyd's left foot is the danger for DC United uh, next season. Um I noticed as well that you you made some comparisons with Paul Ariola in the the write up that you made, sort of in terms of his uh, positional um, fluidity, because Ariola can play central or can play wide, right? But the the other thing I noticed is he's similar to Paul Ariola in that he's very willing to track back, work hard, make tackles. He is not a luxury attacking midfielder or winger. I think in a in a lot of ways that fits that fits the Ben Olsen style at DC United.
1: I think, I think that's spot on and I was trying to make that comparison with Areola as sort of a a positional example as, as guys who can play all those different spots. Ariola yeah. can play pretty much anywhere on the field and, and Flores can play as you already described quite well. He can play central. He can play kind of in the left half space or on the left wing, or even shift to the right side during the run of play. He has that ability to rotate into different spaces. And I think if Ben Olsen was, he was, if he was feeling a little spicy, uh, if he was feeling a little <laughs> edgy, he could do some really fun things with Edison Flores and, and Paul Ariola and Julian Gressel. Now joining DC United, he could have a lot of tactical fun, Uh, setting those guys up and having them rotate during a match am i expecting that uh no i'm not sadly (laughs) um and i think daryl uh being closer to dc than i am that's something that you can probably relate to uh just like i am watching them on espn plus just kind of getting a little sad um watching them without much tactical ideas without any particular tactical inspiration but if if perchance Olson can pull some of that out flores is the perfect guy to be the focal point and he's also not so like not so selfish, I guess, as a player where he's going to be the only guy that they play through. Um, He does allow yeah. other people to get on the ball and he, he's a complimentary player and an attacking focal point at the same time almost.
0: All right. So my assignment for the season is to go to Audi Field and yell at Ben Olsen, make it spicy. <laughs> Please do that, actually. And if you could record it, that would be great because yeah. then we're going to go ahead and make that the on intro it. on the pod. <laughs> I'm going to take hot sauce in my bag. Please do. I
1: think, I think that <laughs> would make this, I think that would solve the problem, Daryl. I honestly think it would solve everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my 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 next player, my second to last player here is uh, a new central midfielder for the Seattle Sounders, Joao Paulo. Um mm. he's he's a Brazilian, he's 28 years old. He played for a few different teams in Brazil during his career. That's that's where he's been for his entire career. But most recently for Botafogo in there in their top league in Brazil. He signed kind of like Locadia. He signed with uh, with Seattle on on loan with an option to buy. So there's some some delayed risk, I guess, for Seattle as well. Yeah. A um, smart business. Smart business. It is, it is. I think we're seeing more at least I've noticed more MLS teams doing that this season. The the, the final guy I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes is in the same category. And I, I didn't mean to do that, but I, I think it is sort of an illustration of a trend that we're seeing um from MLS yeah. front offices at least. Um in terms of Paolo's skill set. Yeah. He really does seem like the the more I watched him uh the more he seems like the perfect Brian Schmetzer player. Um he's not he's not like the most flashy guy. He's not necessarily going to to jump off the screen in a lot of different ways, but he does the subtle things well and I think he fits exactly the system that Brian Schmetzer's trying to trying to continue having after winning, winning MLS Cup last season uh, in that 4-2-3-1. So where does he fit in that 4-2-3-1? And that's that's a great question and it's slightly confusing because Seattle have had that established central midfield partnership between Gustav Svensson and Christian Roldan as that double pivot in the 4-2 through 1. It's, it's worked well for them. I mean, they've, they've made deep playoff runs pretty consistently with two, those two guys anchoring, anchoring play. But I think, I think Paulo's going to, going to move Roldan out wide. Um, mm-hmm. them losing Victor Rodriguez, going back to Spain to be closer to home. Roldan can play on that right wing. Uh, I don't think he's a natural winger, but he's, he's fine in that spot, especially combining with a right back. So if Roldan shifts wide, then Paulo could fit perfectly as that slightly more advanced central midfielder next to Gustav Sensen in schmetzer's forty two three one that's that's my prediction at least, and I'm pretty confident in that
0: that's interesting because it it works so well with uh, Roldan and Svensson that I'm always really wary of breaking up those types of partnerships because like what if the whole thing depended on that? You know what I mean? And I, I always, I'm, I'm always interested to see when coaches are willing to to switch up those major central partnerships because I, yeah, it could be like the foundation that everything rested upon. But I guess, I guess, Schmetzer knows what he's doing. I mean, I, I think he's hoping at least that, that 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 partnership is going to be
1: as effective as the Dan Svensson one was. And just from looking at Paulo's game, I think it definitely has the potential to be Paulo. Is, is kind of a sneaky, uh, technical player. He's not, like I said before, he doesn't necessarily jump off the screen, but he does have, a really good feel for the space around him. He he's always pulling out those like body feints as the ball's rolling towards him. He he'll like kind of stunt towards the ball, have the defender bite on it, and then he'll back away and then you know kind of charge forward into space. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm a big fan of that. It's, it's it's really nice to watch. It's subtle. So that's that's kind of why I say he's not this like he's not gonna have your eyes bug out of your head when you watch him. But if you're paying attention when he's on the ball, when the ball's coming his way, he's gonna do things like that. He's going to he's gonna use his body to shield the ball from defenders and then pull out some sort of quick footwork to have the defender on his back kind of run right around him and then he's going to be able to turn and go forward from there he has some skill on the ball to provide maybe a little more creativity than Christian Roldan did in central midfield in terms of upgrading that spot in, in some aspect he doesn't have the defensive ability that Roldan does but he does have the offensive ability both technically with the ball at his feet or or as the ball is coming to him and also with with his right foot he likes to play those diagonal balls kind of like Svensson does actually from deeper areas Paolo can play those from slightly higher up the field he can either play those long diagonal balls out to the left wing for maybe Jordan Morris to run onto, or we can play a chipped ball into a central space maybe for Raul Ruiz Diaz or Nico to sort of play off of each other when the ball gets to that central space
0: I think Greg Berhalter says how dare you besmirch Christian
1: Roldan's playmaking ability I'm sorry Greg I I, actually I did mean it I really did I was gonna say (laughs) I didn't but yeah I I think I think Paolo's going to bring in some upgrade in terms of offensive
0: ability for for Brian Smetzer And I'm I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure you said, and I think I either didn't hear or I forgot, where is Joe Paolo coming from? He's coming from Botafogo in, in Brazil. You did say that. You did say that. Yeah, I apologize. Just,
1: no, you're fine. Just in the lead up. And that actually is a perfect opportunity. This doesn't necessarily so much rate to Paolo, but I I noticed watching some Botafogo games, one really interesting tactic that they would use with Paolo involved. They would, off of kickoffs, have six or seven, sometimes eight players lined up on the left half of the field and almost run. I don't know how much you know about American football, Daryl, but they'd have him like kind of act as a quarterback on a Hail Mary um off of kickoff okay. and they'd have like I seven guys they perfect okay so uh, they'd have seven players roughly run straight down the field on the left at various depths and they they play the ball straight back to Paolo and he would take a touch look up and play a chipped ball with his right foot into that concentrated area of players and they use that sort of as not necessarily the Liverpool method of of kind of playing long off kickoff and winning a second ball because I think I think Klopp does it a little bit differently but they would have those types of plays to try to win it from there. I don't necessarily think we'll see Apollo as the quarterback on a on a unique kickoff play in Seattle, but it's fun and it's tactical. And I
0: kind of wanted to talk about it. So there we go. <laughs> Final player on my list um, is, I'll be honest, it's a name that I chose just because it was a name that I recognized. Um, it's Osvaldo Alanis, um, the 30-year-old Mexican center back who is joining San Jose on loan from Guadalajara. Um, and the reason I liked this is that he's reuniting with uh, Mateus Almeida, the head coach, uh, where he had a lot of success. They both had a lot of success together um, at Guadalajara from 2015 to 2018. Yeah, that's that's just such an interesting signing for that
1: very reason, especially after we saw San Jose decline a little bit at the end of last season with that man-marking system of Almeida's. Maybe bringing in a centre-back who's already familiar with it could
0: help them kind of get back to where they want to be in, in 2020. That was my thinking, is that it's a guy that already knows the Almeida system, can step right into it, has lots of experience, right? Mexican national team um, did go and play in La Liga after the World Cup. Didn't make a great success of it. Um, I think I have forgotten the first team that he joined. I think it was Getafe, um, kind of letting go because they just ended up, they had too many left-footed centre-backs, which is a weird luxury to have. <laughs> Not many teams have too many left-footed centre-backs. Um, but then Alanis did manage to play for Real Aviedo um, in La Liga uh, for about a season. But then he ended up going back to Chivas... Guadalajara. And now he's going on loan to San Jose to be reunited with Mateus Almeida. Um, The thing I like about him is you were mentioning those sort of big diagonals um, that Jao Paulo plays. Um, Osvaldo Alanis loves a big diagonal with his left foot uh, coming out of the back and he finds them very, very accurately. And
1: so is that something that he's going to play from a more reserved central position? Or is he sometimes pushing higher up the field in, I guess, what San Jose's kind of disarrayed attacking system after they're in that odd man marking shape does he tend to play those balls from deeper areas or is that when he's a little higher up the field after man marking and then recovering the ball did you did you notice one way or the other um,
0: well th- from what i the a lot of what i saw was when he was playing for aviedo so it was oh, just out of that okay. system right. not out of the the guadalajara system um yeah i didn't manage to go back and look at i didn't manage to find much footage from the 2015 to 2018 i mean that's slightly a research failure on my end no no sweat <laughs> no sweat, no sweat. <laughs> so the, what I what I imagine is that uh, that uh, Almeida likes to have the sort of one man spare, right? When he does the man marking, mm-hmm. there's also there's always one man spare, and I wouldn't be surprised if that is. Uh, Alanis being the spare man because usually one of the centre-backs, right? It's spare to provide a bit of cover. So I just like the idea of him um, knowing how to do that and then delivering these big left-footed balls. Um, so actually, I'd really, I'd, I think it's better if you tell me because you know more about this um, Almeida system than I do. When they win the ball back in this man-marking system, is it like a big quick counter-attack or what do they do once they win the ball back and does that sort of involve the centre-backs playing balls in any way? I think what they do once San Jose,
1: once they recover the ball back has a lot to do with their structure. Um, so if they're, if they're in a really strange shape, um, from man marking, like if, if their attackers are, are defending, if the wingers are defending the opposing fullbacks and they're more back as defenders. And just the, the structure. Because they just followed
0: their men wherever they go, right? Exactly. So, yeah, they're out of shape.
1: And if they're out of like dramatically out of shape, it's a little bit harder for them to transition quickly. Um logically, I mean it makes sense because they don't have their their dedicated attackers higher up the field to make those transitions. Yeah. So, so sometimes sometimes
0: bizarrely Tommy Thompson's at right back.
1: Exactly. I think that's it's more of a regular thing at this point. Um once 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 they have that disorganized shape, maybe they're more inclined to recycle the ball. And then Alanis could make that that kind of long pass from a more set possession shape, because that is something that San Jose uses a lot. They do get back into possession and they try to break teams down with the ball in a more traditional manner. But if, I mean, if they recover the ball quickly and let's say Alanis sweeps up a free ball in the back, he could act as that playmaker, either maybe taking a little bit of space and then playing a the ball with his left foot, or he could settle possession and then and then kind of act as the catalyst in a more set shape as well. So it seems to me that he could really impact this team in either of those situations.
0: And the other reason this appealed to me is that because it's a name that I recognized, right? It's like, oh, there's that Mexican center back that I know. It seems like this is a thing of MLS teams investing in higher profile center backs than, than they traditionally have done, if that makes sense. Like yes. normally the strikers, it's been, you know, Chicharito and Alan Pulido and these big name strikers that get signed by MLS teams. But I like the idea of big name defenders making the move. And, and we talked about guys like Chicharito
1: and, and Locadia, these, and Pulido, I guess, these strikers, we need to see more investment from Major League Soccer with those central defenders because it's such an imbalance, like a strategic imbalance where the attacking players are just so much of a higher quality than the defensive players, which makes yeah. sense from an entertainment perspective and in terms of putting out an exciting product. But for teams that actually want to be defensively solid and compete in, in more areas than just the final third or just the attacking half, investing in guys you know that we're seeing San Jose invest in, that we're seeing Atlanta United invest in. That's, that's huge. And I think that's going to eventually elevate the product of Major League Soccer over a number of years.
0: So there you go. Osvaldo Alanis, um, at San
1: Jose. Not ironic. Not ironic. Not at all. Um, my, so my last player and the final player of these, these 10 plus a couple bonus guys is Yunus Namli, a uh, new central attacking midfielder for the Colorado Rapids. A little bit of background on Namli. He's, he's yeah. Danish, uh, 25 years old. So another guy kind of in the prime of his, his soccer playing career after playing lower league dana shocker uh, in his home country he moved over to the netherlands and played for a couple of teams in the Eredivisie uh here in vain and then pecs wool. i'm not exactly sure which which pronunciation that is
0: oh i've, I've been told that it's peck, peck. Yeah, that you Perfect. sort of pronounce it's like knack and pecks vola well, yeah. second time's
1: the charm so i think i think i nailed it um <laughs> then, then he moved to fc krasnodar in the russian premier league uh, in may of 2019 just playing a half season with them before colorado moved in to again uh I, they brought him in on a loan with an option to buy, so the the trend continues. Um, one of the things that I liked most about Nomley's game is kind of like you talked about with Flores. They're different. They're very different players, but they each have that positional versatility. He can play as a central attacking midfielder. He can play as a winger. Um, or, or if Robin Fraser wants to play in a four through three, which is something that he mentioned to me uh, earlier this offseason, then he could play as just simply the most advanced central midfielder in that kind of inverted triangle shape, just playing slightly higher up the field than Kellen Acosta or Jack Price. So
0: he's got a lot of different things he can do, and he definitely has the skill to be productive at any of those spots so we're talking like winger that goes down the outside and crosses or are we talking winger that comes inside and shoots or a bit of everything we're i mean it depends on where he's played he is very left-footed um okay most
1: of the time that i saw him playing as a winger for his his teams in the Eredivisie or in the russian premier league he played on the right and then drove inside with his left foot and i'm going to mention this name not because i think it's flashy but i think it because it really applies uh his cutting in with his left foot, or simply just playing as a central attacking midfielder and using his left foot, is Carlos Vela esque. I think Ooh. it's not an exaggeration in
0: any way. From from at least from the footage that I've watched. Okay, okay, I'm into it. Yeah, so like it's that uh, Iron Robin, Carlos Vela, um, come inside and shoot with your left foot kind of thing. It's, I mean, it's so clean his left foot is so good I mean I'm not sure like I
1: genuinely don't think there's a better left foot other than Velez from an attacking player at least in MLS he he can cut in from the right wing he can cut in from the right half space he can receive the ball with his left and and play out of tight spaces because he's just so good um he can he can dribble out of tight spaces he can dribble out of 1v1s or 2v1s he has so much attacking talent that honestly I think his biggest problem is going to be controlling that talent. Almost like Daryl, almost like you talked about with Lucas Celarayan. Sometimes he does a little bit too much or does something unnecessary when just turning, maybe getting on the half turn and driving into space would be more efficient. Sometimes yeah. he, he takes a little bit too much time on the ball
0: just because he he literally has so much skill. Sometimes it looks like he doesn't know what to do with it. And he's mid-20s, right? So you sort of, it, if that was going to change, it probably would have changed by now. And and that's that's exactly, you just pinpointed exactly what I was going to say next that.
1: Whether or not Robin Fraser for the Colorado Rapids can break some of that will kind of define how successful nominally is, or how successful I guess Colorado can be as a whole. Because Namly is going to get his goals, his assists, his highlights either way. It's just a matter of whether he's going to make the players around him that 10 to 15 percent better. Um, and if Robin Fraser really is going to to work with him on making some better decisions. Fraser's really big, just for our listeners, he's really big on situational decision making, making decisions, mm. empowering his players to make decisions that are right and, and, teaching them the tools to identify what decision is right in, in the thousands and thousands of different situations that they'll encounter on the field during the season. So Frazier can, can get the most out of Na- Namli by adding a little bit of that situational decision making to his technical ability. That, that fit is going to be absolutely perfect. And we could
0: be looking at one of the best attacking players in MLS. Okay, you've suddenly got me excited for a guy that, again, did not know about until what yesterday. I think. I mean, I think it made sense. We
1: we started with a hard hitter. We ended with a hard hitter, maybe a slightly less well-known player than Javier Hernandez, but ending with a guy like Eunice Namli, I think, is a good way to kind of continue working our way
0: towards the actual Major League Soccer regular season. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's not far away. Two or three weeks from now. Yeah. Um, And you and I have been talking um um over email about sort of how to preview the season and i think we're going to we're essentially going to have a big grand preview of each com- each conference right
1: yeah, that's the plan. So Jordan and I, for our listeners next week, Jordan and I are going to go through and detail, uh, Western Conference teams and give some, some very specific predictions. Uh, that's a definite nod to the Total Soccer Show. One for each <laughs> team in the West, and then we'll, we'll lead up to the final week before the regular season with some very specific predictions for Major League Soccer's Eastern Conference. So definitely keep your eye out for those. Well, have something for every team. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I think it'll be valuable. We'll have some tactical insight and, and we'll just have a good time.
0: All right. I look forward to listening. Daryl.